Alrighty, good morning. Y'all good? Well, uh, do me a favor if you need notes. I'm sure, I'm sure you got them, but if you don't, you put your hand in the air. They'll get you those. Also, if you have Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be in Matthew chapter 9, like right midway through, 18 through the end of it. Um, but we're continuing this series. Hopefully, y'all are enjoying your small groups and, and the book you've got. Hopefully, those of you that are plugged into small groups, uh, the com- you know, 40 Days of Compassion, this idea of trying to understand what it looks like to, to be moved down within. You know, talked about that idea. Tom talked about how it comes from the guts. And it's this idea of kind of emotional. It's an emotional thing that pushes you, but it doesn't end with emotion only. It's not just some illicit response that's like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel something. It's I'm going to feel something to the point that I do something, that I continue on. And the thing that I've noticed about compassion is, is sometimes really all it takes is to, to stop and take notice. And it's easy to have compassion if you actually pay attention to the things around you. We're going to talk this morning about what it looks like to have compassion for the lost. Now, what is lost? I mean, what does that look like? Um, we'll go through that a little bit, what it looks like and what we mean by lost. We mean something specific. Uh, but it's not hard to have compassion on someone that's lost if you see that they're lost. You think about the time maybe you saw somebody in a grocery store uh, and, and they're looking frantically for their little child or you see a child in the grocery store and he's not looking frantically, he's just standing there bawling because he's lost and doesn't know what to do. And you can think of those times. It reminds me, um, not too long ago, just a few months ago, I had my, uh, he was, I think he was five at the time. He was with me at church, on church on Saturday night. Um, we go over there, we load the trailer and all the stuff for here. Um, and we have to take an elevator downstairs because we roll a cart. And I had been loading the stuff in the elevator. I think it was a weekend that, um, that uh, the Patricks were gone or something just for that Saturday night. And so I was taking care of some of the stuff that Kyle normally does. And I loaded the stuff in, and my little guy, he, he pushed it into the, into the elevator. And, you know, elevators, they close automatically, all of them to their own timing, right? Well, to his terror, the thing closed. And I was on the outside, and he was on the inside. And the thing's closing, and he, he saw it happening, and it's kind of the, ah, and he doesn't want to stick his hand in because he doesn't know there's a sensor. And, and so he just stands there, the thing closes on him. And I quickly was able to press the button, you know, just the call button, and it opened back up. But he comes running out, and, and his idea was, I, th- I thought I was lost, Dad. Just that terror of being lost. And it's easy to have compassion when you see something like that. I felt for him and I reassured him, look, buddy, I would never leave you. And it, it, all I would have to do is run down the stairs. Trust me, I'm faster than that elevator and we'll get there and you will be okay. But that's the idea. When we don't see things that are lost or don't see them for what they are, then we don't tend to have compassion. We tend to get frustrated. We tend to get angry. We tend to lash out. And God calls us to something different. He calls us to get angry at, at, at bad things, at things that opposes authority, at sin. But he also calls us to have compassion because he had compassion while we were yet sinners, as we'll see. Uh, but I want to read to you um, kind of the, the, the verse that, that kind of started this whole idea of, of um, compassion for the lost. And it's, it's at the end. We're going we're gonna to go to the end and then we're going to go back, okay, in Matthew chapter 9. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, the reality that the kingdom is coming. The kingdom's here and the kingdom's with me. 
That's what Jesus was saying, and he wasn't uh, pulling too many punches about it. And why he was saying that or how he was saying that, he was healing every disease and sickness, okay? It says every disease and sickness. When he saw something, he healed it. He showed them, look, the kingdom is here. It's right here. And when he saw the crowds, he saw a bunch of people that were around and following him because he'd been doing these miracles and healing people. And there was people coming and looking for for him. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest fields. And then if you read on in chapter 10, he does send out workers. He sends people out. But it's an interesting thing leading up to this. And right here in this chapter 9, there's a bunch of miracles recorded all in sequence, very tightly packed. And and they're going to display to us what it looks like for these lost sheep that were harassed and helpless, that he had compassion on going back. It's after the sequence of things that had been done. And it's kind of an interesting look into the, the picture of what God wants us to see about the people around us. Because we're in a culture, we're in a place, we're in a world that's fallen from the authority of God. And it's reaping the benefit of being distanced from God, kind of like an elevator door closed off from Him, no longer seeing Him, no longer frantic that they're not seeing Him, but actually celebrating the reality that there's no one to answer to. And that's a scary situation because that elevator doesn't lead to anything good. It only leads to condemnation and judgment. And when we think about that, if we see a little kid running towards a street where we know his end is to be hit by a car, compassion isn't just this emotion of, oh, isn't that sad? You would be a very hardened person if all you thought was that was very sad. If it didn't move you, compel you to run after this child and try to rescue them. Not that you can. You may not have the power to. You may not get there in time. It may not even be um, something that's available for you. But if you didn't even try, what kind of person would you be? That's a reality we deal with when we think about people that are lost, that are distanced from God, that are separated from Him, and all we do is say, man, I hate the way they act. I don't like their political views. Those people are just mean. Those people are rude. Those people are frustrating. I certainly am not like that. Yeah. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrisy too, but we won't talk about that today. But if we think about this, I want to today, I want you to get new eyes. Like I started, sometimes all it takes to have compassion is to take notice. Take notice, look around, see the things around you. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive into the word. Lord, thank you for the chance to just be gathered around your word. I pray that as we talk through what it looks like to have compassion for the lost, Lord, that we would see things for what they are, that we would be grateful for what we are in you, and Lord, that it would compel us to move because of the great grace that you've offered through your son Jesus. And it's in his authority we pray. Amen. So let's go back and look at some miracles. Earlier in chapter 9, just right before this section where he he finally looks out and it says he looked upon them, saw them there, and he had compassion on them. In verse 18, it says this, 
While he was saying this, that's he's in a synagogue, he's, he's talking about some things, talking about fasting, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him, that is Jesus, and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. All I have to do is touch her, Jesus, and she'll be alive. Jesus got up and went with him. And so does his disciples. So he's got this entourage. And just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, 12 years, came behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and she said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. She touches his cloak. Jesus turned and he saw her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's home, he saw a noisy crowd and people playing pipes. It was kind of a way that they mourned. They would, they would make a lot of noise. They would wail. They would show their hopelessness, show their frustration, show the reality that this is not a good thing. Death is not good. And he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but sleeping. But they laughed at him. They laughed at him. It's going to be important in a minute. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and and took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread throughout all the region. He raised a dead girl. It's a pretty big deal. Even without, you know, Twitter and all the other social media outlets, it spread pretty quick through Palestine. And as Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Son of David was this, this wasn't just like, Oh, that's your daddy. No, this was, this was a messianic term. This was the one we've been waiting for. This is the guy that's supposed to rescue Israel and set up the kingdom. Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, that is Jesus, the blind men came to him and asked, and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Yes, without a doubt, we believe you can heal us. I mean, you just raised a dead girl. You can do this. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. Very interesting. But then they went out, disobeyed the Lord, and spread news about him all over the region. They couldn't help but talk about it. Because they could see in color for the first time. And when Jesus, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And, and when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been done in Israel. We've never seen this stuff happen before. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So they equate his power with the power of demons. The same thing that bound this man. They're saying that's why Jesus is able to do this. Very interesting. And even in that, we should have compassion. But there's these four little episodes of things. A dead girl, a woman who's hemorrhaging, who's bleeding, two blind guys, and then a guy who's mute because of demon oppression. And then right after that, Jesus looks out and he sees the crowds of all these other people with all their ailments and he says, man, you guys are helpless. You guys 
can't, you're harassed. And he has compassion. And then he immediately says, you people, you guys that are my buddies, you guys that are around me, my 12, you guys that have been with me, pray to God that he sends out people for the harvest because the harvest is ready. If people just hear, if people just see, then people will respond. But people have to go for people to respond. And so I'm going to point out four things about lost people that we oftentimes just don't pay notice to. We don't pay attention to. We turn our back to it. We continue about our days. We continue about our normal life, never thinking about these things. And so therefore, compassion is squelched down, pushed down in us, and it never is able to come out. Because number one that we need to remember about lost people is that the lost, they're dead. Lost are dead. Lost people are dead. Don't get over that fact. We tend to think, well, you know, they're just doing their own thing. Yes, rebellion towards God leads to your own authority. Your own authority leads to sin. Sin leads to death. That's what this book claims. That's what I believe. That's what I have seen played out in my own life. I've seen it played out in other people's lives. That the consequence, the wages of sin, which we will read in a minute, is death. Don't let that pass you by. Because compassion for dying people is something that's easy to come by. Just go walk through a hospital ward, an ICU. Go through there. Try not to have compassion. You won't be able to unless you're so hardened that you're blind to the reality of God creating people in His image and death robbing them of that image. And then them suffering the consequence. And we suffer it in our bodies, I know. But I'm talking about eternal death. Jesus brings, you know, he sees this in 18 through 19. This guy comes and he says, my daughter, she's dead. But if you are willing, you can raise her. I know you can. Just come with me and do it. And then Jesus walks in, right? And the the lady The girl has already passed away. The people are wailing. They're mourning. He says she's not dead. She's just sleeping. They laugh at him. They laugh. And sometimes they're laughing because they're like, no, she's dead. She's dead. You can't do anything about that. But sometimes we laugh while people are dying right around us where we can't offer them something. We can't offer them hope. And we squelch compassion. Why? Because we get angry at their rebellion. And I understand that. I I get the idea of getting angry at the rebellion, but here's the thing. Get angry at the rebellion, but have compassion on the rebeller. Because the rebel doesn't know what they're rebelling against. They don't know. Because if they knew their end, which is death, then they would probably respond differently, and you certainly would respond differently. Because... If we skate over this idea of death, it's easy to just lack compassion for the lost. Because we never have to deal with it. We never have to worry about it. I know I'm saved. I'm good. Me and Jesus, we're like this, man. Everybody else, they just must not want Jesus. Have you ever thought of the fact that maybe they cannot even hear him, see him because they're dead? That could compel us to compassion. And you'll see there that John 3, 16 through 21 is another verse I want, I want to show you. I want to put before your face. And the reason is because we know this verse. 
We know this verse very well. John 3, 16. Um, it's plastered all over all kinds of different things. Problem is, a lot of us, we stop at 16 not to read 17 and on. Because 17 and on is indicting. 17 and on is hard. 17 and on isn't just flowery Jesus loves you. And it says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that is a great message. And that's a message of hope. And that is our gospel. And that is the good news that we can have eternal life. But if you read on, it says this in 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Another hopeful message. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. And here's where it gets hard. The middle of verse 18. But whoever does not believe in Him stands condemned already because they do not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And we will come into the light, sorry, and will not come into the light for fear of their deeds being exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that that light will be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. These are hard things because this is indicting for us too. Because you notice what it said? Whoever loves evil or does evil does not see the light and the light isn't there in them because they're dead. But that idea of they stand condemned already. If you see someone stand condemned already, even though they maybe have done what they should, you know, they've, they've done something that causes their condemnation. We all have. We all are under sin. But the reality is God offers a free gift of eternal life, which points out the reality that everyone's dead already on arrival. And so the first thing that compels you to compassion is don't forget that your oikos includes the walking dead. The people around you, the people you deal with all the time, the people right there, they're walking dead. They're people that need hope. They need a message. They're not just people doing life with you. They're people living death with you. And hopefully you're not joining them in that. So that's the first thing. Remember, being lost from the right position under the authority of God means death. And that should elicit compassion in us. Number two, lost people are drained of hope. For this, I want to point that miracle of the woman who is bleeding for, for 12 years, right, is what it said. And I want to go to another uh, part of, in the book of Mark where it talks about her, um, her episode uh, in a little more detail. We think Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew probably borrowed this from Mark a little bit. And it says this about the same woman. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and she had spent all that she had. All her money was spent on trying to figure out how can I alleviate this? How can I be restored? How can, how can this stop? Yet, instead of getting better, she only grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came you know, up from behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. 
Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her body that she was freed from her suffering. Twelve years, all kinds of doctors spending all that she had. All that she had. And that points out this reality that people that are lost are drained of hope. If you met this woman, I'm sure you would be compelled by her story to have compassion. As she's weak, as she's uh, probably flush in her, in her skin because her body's not be, being able to keep up with the amount of blood that's coming out of her. She's being drained of hope. She's being drained of all life. And she's reaching out for someone. And if you heard her story, you would probably think, man, I wish I could do something to help. I wish I could find the right doctor. I wish I could provide some more funds, whatever it is. One of the things you need to remember is there's people in your life who are being drained of hope right now. And you see them spending all their money on all kinds of different things. You see them spending all their time with all kinds of different people looking and grasping for whatever it is that might bring about the healing of this something inside, this suffering down inside that is somehow left a void and they don't know what to do with it. And so they're going to try to find something to fill it. Trying to find something to fill it, knowing that it never will be filled. They don't know that, but you know that. And if that doesn't cause you to have compassion, because what? Because if you know, if you know, wouldn't you offer that to someone if you knew it was healing, that it was able to fix, that it was able to give them hope? Usually there's a few things that happen, right? Either we don't actually believe the hope we say we have, or we forget the reality that we have hope because we don't even take notice. And this isn't all talking about physical healing. This is talking about the reality that being restored to God creates in you this newfound confidence that I am right with God despite how wrong my circumstances are. I can get through this somehow. I don't even know how, but I just know I can because I have hope in the Lord. If you've experienced that, I hope you would be able to give that freely. But if you haven't experienced that, I understand. That doesn't mean it's not true. That's something that you have to remember that lost people are drained of hope. If you have said, I'm coming under the authority of Christ, I know that he is my savior, then you have been given hope. And if you feel hopeless, man, come talk to me. Come talk to another believer. Come talk to some people in your world that can encourage you. Hope is there. Hope is found. Hope is grasped by you. Don't forget to remember that lost people are drained of hope. No matter how hopeful their experiences look, no matter the awards show that they get, no matter the, the amount of money that they make by running around with balls, no matter whatever it is, it's not hope that leads to anything that is ultimate and final hope. It's still lostness. And that should compel us to this reality that, man, isn't that sad? To know that you'll never be satisfied. Not isn't that sad like I know I'm better than you. Isn't that sad because I remember I was like that once. I was like that once. Grasping at straws. But now I've found a ladder that pulls me up. And that's the gospel. And so for that I want you to remember that compassion requires you to offer hope 
of the gospel. It requires you to offer hope. Yeah, I use that word requires. The Christian life does have requirements. The requirement is that you share what you've experienced. That's all it is. Why? Because if you've experienced hope, man, why would you not share it? Remember the blind guys we'll get to right after this? Jesus said, hey, look, make sure you don't tell anybody that I just healed you of blindness. And they're like, bro, I don't even need anybody showing me around anymore. I don't have to say much. But they went on and they spread the news that they had been healed. Why? Because, man, they remembered, oh, I was blind, now I see. I can't help but share the reality of the situation. Everybody knows my cloak. They know my beard. They know what I look like. And they're seeing me walk around and they're seeing me recognize things. They're seeing me just at awe about everything I see. I can't help but tell them. The gospel requires you to share it. Share it with your oikos. Share it with the believers. Remind them that there's hope. Remind them that they're no longer dead. Remind them of the other things we will speak about today. And share it to those that don't know. Share it. Because without sharing it, nobody can hear it. And without hearing it, what happens? People are stuck in their death. And it's interesting. I remember this is going back to 2000, probably 2008, um, contractor doing uh, retrofitting for seismic for earthquakes. Down in in, uh, the L.A. area, Commerce, Compton, Carson, all that area down there. And I I remember meeting, there was a lot of guys I worked with, guys. One guy that I remember, his name was Gabriel Barajas. And Gabriel was a nice dude. Gabriel was a guy that always seemed like he was ready to learn and and he wanted to to know um, new things. And I had an opportunity of driving with him. We were driving out up to Ventura one, one day doing some some work, um, trying to explore for something uh, with an engineer's permission, you know, to tear apart a building so we can fix it. And we're riding in the truck and then we're just having conversations. And I was able to, to ask him or just reference something about church and about how, you know, well, yeah, no, I've, uh, I used to be, you know, pretty hopeless. I used to be pretty depressed. And, and then I, I kind of came to the reality that there's something out there for me. And it, and it was through Jesus. And I had asked Gabriel about his story. And he was born in East L.A., got jumped into a gang when he was 14 years old. Didn't want to be in a gang, but he just, you know, there wasn't anything else. When they jump you in, you're jumped in. And the only way to get out is either die or a really other alternative that you don't want to deal with. And so I was asking him about his story. And uh, are you still in the gang? He's like, well, yeah, I'm in the gang, man. I can't, not, I can't get out of the gang. But I'm just not active. And then they leave me alone. And so it's good. He's trying to better his life. And it was interesting when I when I talked about this reality of my hope in Jesus. He says, yeah, no, my, my sister's a Christian, but I, I don't really know what it is. My sister's a Christian, but I don't know what it is. And I was able to share with him the gospel and the story. Now, Gabriel didn't respond right then. It's not like he, you know, took off his seatbelt, got on the knees on the floorboard of the truck and said, I want to I want to accept Christ. That's not how it happened. I don't even know where Gabriel is these days. But the reality is he had been in proximity to Christians. He had heard uh, that, you know, this Christian thing in his sister, but he had never heard the message of hope. Never heard it. There are so many people like that in your world, people. They've never even heard it to reject it. You count them as rejecting it already because of the way they live because of what they're in. And if I would have done that and, and see his, his gang tats and all of the things, I would have just said, ha, he's never going to hear it. What's the point? 
But the reality is he had never even heard to be able to reject. Never been offered hope. He still didn't respond. And that brings us to our third point, is the reality that lost people are blind to truth. Lost people are blind to truth. Those two blind guys, and they're walking after Jesus, and they're just coming, and they're trying to get proximity to him because they believe. And, and Jesus heals them, and he says, it's because of your faith, because you actually believe that you're going to be healed. But one of the things that we need to remember is that there's a lot of people in our world that are blinded to truth. And if we have truth, then our truth should be displayed to them. Displayed so that they can see the reality of the truth, that it changes lives, that it changes who we are, that it it fixes things, that it reorients things. And blinding to the truth is, is something that we often don't account for. And, and often it's the thing that stops us from sharing because we just figure no one is going to hear. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus came with a message, preaching in the synagogues, healing the sick, telling them the kingdom is near. What did they do to Jesus? They crucified him. Because people do not respond does not mean that we do not speak. Because people cannot hear does not mean that we don't talk. Because people will not see doesn't mean we don't display the reality of the authority of God having an effect on our life. And here's the thing. When you see a blind guy, if you saw a blind guy on the corner of the road, because here in in the great area of Phelan, which we are thankful for, there's not a lot of traffic lights, and that means there's no crosswalks. So imagine you're cruising down, and right at Coughlin, you see a guy with a cane with a red tip on it, and he's trying to get across. A couple options there. One, you drive by. You do nothing. Another one is... You stop and you honk your horn. That might not help. But the other one or third one, you you stop, you pull to the side, you go alongside him and say, man, where are you trying to get? I just need to get over there. I know where I can get if I get to the other side. I know how to get home from there. And you say, well, can I help you? Can I come alongside you? Can I be there? He may very well say, no, I'm good. I don't need your help. I live in feeling, bro. Back off. Or he may say, you know what? That would be great. And if you could give me a ride home, that would be even more helpful. You see, there's people in your world that don't have an everlasting eternal life home. They're blinded to truth. They have no way of seeing. That's a sad thing. That should... Bring about compassion in you. But if compassion just stops with feeling bad, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point because it's not about feeling bad. It's about this, that if we know the truth, we share it and we live it. We have to share it and live it. The reason I say that is because there's a lot of blinded people. by They're blinded to the gospel because they know a lot of Christians. They don't ask, act like anything has happened to them or that the gospel is effective in their life at all. Why would you not be blind if, if you're saying, well, that, that's supposed to work, but it doesn't work here and it doesn't work here and it doesn't work there, so why does it work? It doesn't work. 
It makes perfect sense. It's just a conclusion. If, if no one is benefiting from this thing, if nothing is changing, then what good is this thing? Why would I do that? That makes no sense at all. And so this one out of all of them is the reality that it places on us. Look at man, blinding us. Blinding us. We're blinding people by the fact that we act like we don't have the gospel. We act like it's not powerful for us. We act like it's not true. How are they going to see it? Which leads us right into the last one, and that lost people are bound by sin. Lost people are bound by sin. Now, no one's out there saying, I'm bound by sin. I'm stuck. I'm oppressed under it. The picture of the demon-possessed man that was muted, that was brought to Jesus by his friends. Some people brought him to Jesus, and Jesus unbinds him, casts the demon out, and the man speaks. He was oppressed. He was held in. He was being confined into himself until Jesus loosed him. We were all in that position, whether you felt like it or not, you were bound by sin. You were under its authority. Romans chapter 6 is is a great passage in relation to this because Romans is written to Christians and it's an encouragement to Christians that you no longer have to be this way anymore. You no longer have to act this way anymore. And so I'm going to read to you Romans 6, 16. Uh, through 23 and it's a long passage so i'm going to hurry through it but it says this do you not know that you yourselves or sorry that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves to the one you obey whether you're slaves to sin which leads to death remember death or you're slaves to obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks be to god thanks be to god through jesus that through though you used to be slaves to sin bound by sin. You have overcome it and you obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Your allegiance has been claimed if you're a follower of Christ. Your allegiance is no longer to what you were bound to. It's no longer to what you used to identify with. It's no longer to what used to provide you hope. It's to something new. You have been set free from sin and you have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life. That was slavery to them. Everyday life. Slavery wasn't the same thing we're thinking about when we think of slavery. This was, these people were, it was their jobs. It was how they lived. They were owned by somebody. I'm using this example because of your human limitations. But just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, so now. Now that you know the truth, now that you've been uh, conformed to the image of God by the fact that Jesus died for you, rose from the dead, gives you the power to overcome it through the gift of salvation that you have, now that that's happened, we want you to increase. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you, you were free from the control of righteousness. We see that often. We see a lot of people free from the control of righteousness. But a lot of times what that makes us do is sneer at them, judge them. I feel bad for them. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? You used to be there. You used to be a slave to that thing. And you've been freed from it. And what did it benefit your life? Hardship, strife. 
broken relationships, broken self-esteem, broken bodies, deteriorating with diseases, all kinds of different things. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, (laughs) the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. The result is being found. The result is no longer being lost, but being brought near to who God is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. You see, whether you acknowledged it or not, you were bound by sin before you offered yourself to the authority of God. Slavery, we all have different views on what that looks like. But especially now in our current culture, this idea of of racism and slavery and oppression and all that, man, it's all over the place. And most of us feel like that's just wrong to be enslaved and bound to something that that, that treats you badly, that, that pushes you down. And compassion isn't entering into sin, but it's overcoming it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not entering into it. I'm not suggesting that you start hanging out and doing the same things that people bound in sin do. But what I am suggesting is that you see it for what it is, that they are bound to that, not making choices. Not making choices always to pursue something. Especially, here's the thing, right? If they've never heard anything different. If they've never heard the truth, how do you expect them to respond to the truth? How do you expect them to act like the truth matters? And if you won't share it with them because they're too wicked and bound in their sin, then who are you? Because Jesus entered into the dwellings of sinners, prostitutes and tax collectors. People that everybody looked at and said, there's no way those people are drawn near to God. And Jesus went into their homes and he healed them. He brought them out. And he saved them. And he said, you are no longer lost, but you're found. Because I found you where you were. I won't leave you where you are. But come, follow me. And I will show you our eternal dwelling with God forever. Folks, if we don't have compassion, we're not reflecting Jesus at all. We're not a follower of Jesus at all. If we don't have compassion for people that are lost, that are under the authority of sin, which leads to death, which leads to condemnation and judgment by God, which leads to eternal condemnation, then we have no business claiming to be followers of Jesus. But remember, compassion isn't just this feeling of, oh, I feel bad for people. Compassion is having the courage to share the gospel with your oikos. We teach this all the time, that you need to list out the names of those people, that you need to pray for them regularly, that you need to seek opportunities to share. Why? Because the church is the hope of the world. The gospel message is the only thing that brings about being found, being eternally secured. It only comes through the gospel. If you believe that, then what stops you from sharing it? And if you don't share it, do you believe it? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves. And I'm there with you. Sometimes it's it's easier to just say, they're never going to hear that. 
Why do I need to waste my time with that? They're stuck in their wickedness so far that they're never going to hear the truth. How arrogant are you? How arrogant am I when we think that? Because Jesus has healed you. You're no longer dead. You're no longer drained of hope. You have hope. You're no longer blind to the truth. You have it. And you're no longer bound in sin. And if we're not bound in sin, then we can start untying those around us that are bound. But only with the message of the gospel. The message of you're condemned under the authority of God. God created us. He created us in his image. We rejected his authority. And I know you feel it. It's easy for someone to admit that they've rejected God's authority. But see, Jesus saw us in that. God sent his son. He came down. He lived among us. He made a sacrifice for us of his own body to wash us, to cleanse us, to put us in a right position with God. He conquered sin by rising from the dead. And he offers us the gift of eternal life to draw near to God as he ascended where we can draw near through him. You no longer have to be stuck in this position of hopelessness, helplessness and death, but you can come out. That's the message we have, folks. And if we don't share it, we're not having compassion. We're not having compassion. We're full of arrogance. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it pushes us, compels us. Lord, for how it challenges us. Lord, I pray that we would be people here at High Desert Church feeling that not only know the message of truth, but share the message of truth. Regardless of the response, Lord, some people will laugh, some people will sneer, some people will reject outright, some people will get angry. But Lord, help us to have your heart. Seeing people as helpless, hopeless, without someone to lead them. Just being led by their own passions and desires. And Lord, help us to be people that bring the message. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've never submitted to the authority of God. And you you maybe find yourself in these positions of being dead, of being bound and blind and hopelessly drained. I want to offer you the gospel, which is this message of hope that says that you are condemned in sin. That's admitting, admitting that I've opposed the authority of God. And when you oppose the authority of God, consequences come and I'm bound to those consequences. I admit that, Lord. But I believe that Jesus came to restore me to a right position, to to free me, to take those consequences on his own life and suffer death as he died on a cross. But Lord, he rose from the dead. He ascended to your right hand. And I believe that he can save me. I believe that he can heal me. And I want to choose to walk under his authority. And that's the C. Admitting, believing, and then choosing to say, I will conform to who he is. I will do what he requires of me. Just pray that prayer. Lord, I need you. I admit my need for you. I believe that Jesus can be my savior. And I choose to follow after him. And you're now a member of the family of God. And welcome. Now you have hope and share it. And Lord, help the rest of us to use our voices, use our hands, use all that you've restored us from. Lord, use that in our lives to compel us to have compassion and to share this great news. In Jesus' name, amen.